When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Thank God you're back. <laughs> I'm glad you got some some rest on vacation, but man, I was trying to host the show by myself for the past couple weeks, <laughs> and um, I think we've lost at least half our audience. So All right, hopefully come back, they come back. Come back, audience. I'm here. Uh, how was your time? <laughs> it was amazing. And so remind I remind people where you were. Yes, I was spent two weeks in Amman, Jordan. Uh, I have a friend who works and lives in Amman, so I was staying with her and then doing some some side trips throughout the country. I went to Wadi Rum, which is where uh, it's a Star Wars fame. It's where the famous race scene is filmed. Oh, some pod racing. Yeah, nice. I think I think The Martian was filmed there. So it's like it's that red Real desert, desert sand yeah. with the crazy rock structures. So we. Spent night in camp there. Um, we went to Petra. That's of Indiana Jones fame. Also history fame. Yeah, also history. <laughs> Not just movies. Uh, floated in the Dead Sea. So it was it was amazing trip. Oh, that's amazing. Well, welcome yeah. back. Uh, Thank you. We've got we we've got a busy week. We're prepping for you know getting up towards the end of the season. Uh, got about a month left. So it's gonna be a busy next five or six weeks or so. So get ready. Yeah, and get ready for a great episodes because it's all Catholic Sisters all the time. Yeah, I don't think it's Catholic Sisters week, but it might as well be on this podcast. So uh, who are we chatting with? We're talking to Sister Donna Dodge. She is the president of the Sisters of Charity of New York, who announced earlier this month that they are going to embark on a path of completion, which means they're basically not going to be accepting new vocations. They're going to continue their ministries, but that they're kind of wrapping up their current state as a congregation. Yeah, and we were covering this a couple weeks ago on Signs of the Time, so it was really exciting to have an opportunity to talk to Sister Donna about you know what went into that decision making, uh, how the sisters are feeling, and how they're still kind of gearing up for, you know, they've got a good 30 years left in them. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah. And Sister Donna suggested that we have scotch. So we are drinking scotch on the rocks today. In her honor. And the sisters To the Sisters of Charity. So stick around for our conversation with Sister Donna Dodge. But first, we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And our first story this week comes from California. On May 4th, the Los Angeles Dodgers sparked an ongoing controversy when they announced that the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, a group of drag queens who dress in women's religious habits, not actual sisters, would be included in the Dodgers Pride Night later in June. Uh, And to break down this complicated and ongoing story is our friend and colleague, Mike O'Loughlin, the national correspondent for American Media. Welcome back to Jesuitical, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Good to see you. I'm wondering if you could just like take us back to this original announcement for the Dodgers. Like what's the context of, of this night? 
that the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are being included in? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, I think for the vast majority of people who now know about the story, we learned about it through a group called Catholic Vote, which highlighted the announcement because they were not happy that the Dodgers were honoring this group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Uh, As Ashley said, it's a group of drag queens, activists who trace their roots back to the early days of the HIV and AIDS crisis in California. Uh, They raise money for charitable organizations. They provide services to people with HIV and AIDS. I think in more recent years, they sort of expanded uh, into more general visibility around the LGBT community. And they dress as nuns. They're they're guys dressing as nuns, so they kind of want to raise attention through that. And not just simple nuns. (laughs) It's... Can you describe what this looks like? Yes, like way over the top. Like if you were to imagine drag queen nuns, uh, that's what you would get. Uh, There's a little bit of black and white clothing involved as sort of an homage to Mm -hmm. traditional habits of Catholic sisters. But I'm not sure that anymore, even if people were to look at them, they would understand that they were supposed to be nuns. It's kind of way over the top. Uh, But still, uh, some people take offense at it. It is sort of a snarky way, either mocking, ridiculing, or drawing inspiration from Catholic sisters, depending on your point of view. And Catholic Vote and the Catholic League were upset about this, put pressure on the Dodgers to cancel. Senator Marco Rubio sent a letter to the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Big social media storm, and the Dodgers did cancel. Uh, We kind of thought that was the end of the story initially, but The backlash to the backlash happened. A lot of LGBT activists weighed in, said that the Dodgers weren't standing by the community. And ultimately, the Dodgers backtracked and said, yes, we are going to invite them to Pride Night. So on June 16th, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence will be honored at Dodgers baseball game and given an award for their community service. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, this group that some people think ridicule Catholic nuns will be given a big platform at this baseball game. What were some of the specific criticisms, either from Catholic Vote or Senator Marco Rubio? Yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, they are drawing inspiration or mocking Catholic sisters. So there is an element of... I don't know if it goes up to anti-Catholicism. The group itself says they're not anti-Catholic. They say what they're trying to do is hold a mirror up to how some people use religion to legitimize homophobia. Uh, but it is, I think, hard to take. I wrote an essay for America this week saying that when I saw these individuals sort of making fun or poking fun at Catholic sisters, I kind of thought about the Catholic sisters who have done really heroic work, who really don't get the credit they deserve, who don't really wield much power in the church. And it kind of made me a bit uncomfortable that they were kind of punching down is what I think I wrote, that it didn't seem like they were going after the right targets if they were angry at religion. But I was able to find a Catholic sister, a real Catholic sister, who said that she didn't feel that same kind of offense that some groups like Catholic Vote or the Catholic League or Marco Rubio felt. So I think it's a pretty complicated subject. Do you look at it as someone mocking the church? Or do you see the good work they do and say they're just kind of being ridiculous to raise awareness about their cause? Well, one thing that I think understandably wrinkles is something we've talked about on the show before is that people feel pretty comfortable mocking the Catholic Church, whether that's like Pope Francis and the AI generated jacket, art of yeah. in the puffer coat um, in ways that they might not mock other religions. I think in, in your piece, you mentioned that way back in 2011, Andrew Sullivan made the point that um, that the group would never dare dress up as the prophet Muhammad during Ramadan, and yet they had this drag queen show about hunky Jesus on Easter. So do you think that's a fair criticism? 
I think there's something to it. I would say that there's been some pushback against that kind of thinking because to be a Muslim in the United States in certain parts of the country is probably more challenging than to be a Christian, to be a Catholic. So it's probably not exactly the same. But in terms of ridiculing who has power and who doesn't, I think that's a part of drag that some people don't pick up on. And it's used to kind of poke fun at people who have power and who use that power to hurt other people. I just don't know that Catholic sisters wield all that much power. Maybe at one point in time they did. Maybe some people have had bad experiences with Catholic sisters. But I think generally, uh, when you look at the church, it's a little bit in the weeds, but Catholic sisters aren't the ones with the power. So if you want to ridicule the church because of its stance on homosexuality and how it uses its influence to maybe generate certain laws to support certain laws that go against LGBT rights, I don't know if sisters, I don't know if they're the ones who are pushing that agenda. It might be Catholic bishops, it might be lay people. So for me, it was just this power dynamic that I didn't think made sense. And you did talk to a Catholic sister about this story uh, based in Los Angeles. What what was her take on it? Yeah, Sister Joanne de Quartro. She's a sister of the Holy Names. Uh, she's 84, longtime activist, uh, started protesting in the 1980s against uh, U.S. military involvement in Central America, uh, moved on to anti-death penalty work, social justice work. And I was surprised a little bit to hear what she had to say, because I thought there was some possibility that she might be offended, that Catholic sisters might be offended by how this other group portrays them. But she said, no, look, she understands that activists do whatever they can to raise attention and that they dress in over-the-top ways and kind of tell risque jokes. And if it gets attention for their cause, which she said was a good cause, she said, basically, they're living out the corporal works of mercy. Then she understood and she wasn't offended. She said she was more offended by members of Congress who are cutting the budget for social safety net programs. She said that's more offensive to her than these kind of costume guys who she's known about for years because she said in California, you can't really escape them. So I was surprised, but in some ways I'm not because I think these sisters uh, are classically humble, right? Like humble yeah. and not, you know, easily offended. It takes a lot because they're kind of in the trenches doing the hard work. So I don't think they're as easily offended as some some other folks. So I thought it was a unique perspective. Uh, so I'm glad we got a chance to, to report on it over at America. Do you think the Dodgers are going to reverse course again in the face of renewed outrage among the Catholics? <laughs> <laughs> I will be very surprised if they reverse course, but I would not be surprised to see something later in the season that honors some kind of Catholic social justice group. I think that's probably the best bet from a uh, crisis communication standpoint. Well, them. those odds are on FanDuel live right now. I'm kidding in terms of best <laughs> bets. Uh, well, Mike, we will link to your report uh, in our show notes and people can read that as always. And along with the rest of your work at americamagazine.org. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. And now stick around for our conversation with Sister Donna Dodge. Joining us in studio is Sister Donna Dodge. Sister Donna is the president of the Sisters of Charity of New York. Welcome to Jesuitical, Sister Donna. Thank you very much, Ashley. We're so glad to have you. Um, And maybe just like to set the stage, could you tell us, when did you enter the Sisters of Charity in New York? I entered in 1966, which is right after, during Vatican II. Yeah, like right, pretty exciting time. uh, Yeah, and um, it was exciting because I was on the cusp of the changes. When I entered, I was the last group to wear the cap, the widow, you know, the the, hab- the habit of the okay. Sisters of Charity. They had a um, like a black widow's cap, which was what Mother Seton wore at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, so I had that for maybe two or three two two or three years. Then went to a veil, and then right after that, we went into lay clothes. 
So I had some of the old things, and I was able to at least appreciate what the sisters went through when they talked about the olden days. But then um, I was freer to make my choices about ministries and things like Can that. Can you talk so. about your decision to join? Uh, what was going through your head? And did those old things attract you? Or were you like, okay, the Vatican II happened. We'll be getting rid of those soon. So I, I, have, I have a crazy path. And when everybody <laughs> asks to tell about your vocation story, I had gone to uh, Cardinal Spellman High School in the Bronx. I could say I was a pupil there, not, not a student, really, because <laughs> I had a lot of fun. And um, five of my uh, good friends decided to enter. That and is something you do not hear today. <laughs> no, no, that's right. You don't. Yeah, like and, a group um, of like a group of yeah, friends. Peer yeah, pressure yeah, to join yeah. them. Well, they said order. to me, I didn't know what I was going to do or what I wanted to do in life, and they said, "Come on, why don't you come with us? We'll have a good time." And um, I, you know, I did. There was some prayer in it, but not, I have to say, at that time, not too much. And so I did, just trying to be open to a new experience. And they all left, and uh, I stayed. In fact, some sister had a bet that I'd be the first one to leave. But um, I hope they I paid up. <laughs> um, so that's a strange path. To, yeah. But um, I mean, once you were in, what what was it about it that made you stay as opposed to those who left? I think it was the call to community, the exposure to uh, Vatican II ideas in the church. And uh, the w wanting uh, desperately to serve in some way, and that seemed to be a good path. And what was it like to? I mean, you know, you you enter with all these friends, but and and have they they leave at some point? Mm -hmm. um, but the years after Vatican II, um, from my understanding, was a period where a lot of people uh, left, left religious yes. life. Yeah. What, what was it like to kind of weather that or stay th or stick through it? I, I don't think I was that conscious of it that at that time mm. because they weren't my friends who were, I mean, the people I entered with were leaving, but um, it wasn't like I was with people for 15, 20 years and then they decided to leave. So I didn't find it as painful as some of the other sisters whose peers had left. But it was a painful but it was an time. It was, it was a painful, it was also an exciting time. Uh, our congregation was good because they um, brought us all over the place to different kind of lectures and marches in Washington and the Poor People's March and Fordham University and, you know, for lectures on what was happening in the church. And uh, so we were exposed to all of that. So it was also an exciting time. Mm -hmm. I have to say that. Yeah. Can you, for those who aren't in New York and so they don't see all the great works that the Sisters of Charity do here, can you describe kind of like, you know, what, what your ministry was at, you know, the peak when you had... Over oh, a gosh. thousand we, we had, here. We were almost responsible practically for, for every school um, in Manhattan and the Bronx, um, which we then passed on to other communities, Staten Island. We were in Brooklyn. Um, we were at our peak. We were probably about 1,300, 1,400 sisters. In the New York area. In the New York area. And then we had hospitals. We had orphanages. Um and how do these how do these ministries sort of live on today with with lower numbers? What 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 are the sisters of charity? Right now, right now? We, we call it um, the ministries with which we are um, in a relationship. Because sponsored has a, a number of different ways. It's um, meanings. It's not like we pay for them to continue. But uh, three of our biggest ones are Elizabeth Seton Children's in Yonkers. That's one of the largest, almost nursing homes for young people. And uh, I forget what percentage are on ventilators. I, it might be like 60% mm. of them or something like that. But it's just a, an amazing work that the people there do. We have St. Joseph's Medical Center in Yonkers. And uh, we have New York Foundling. 
One of our good friends uh, moved to New York to work at the New York family. So I have a personal thank you for that, for bringing our friend Hannah to us. Oh, good. It's a a great ministry. Those are the three biggest we have. Um, We have a a housing ministry that is probably only uh, began in the 80s, but we have over, I might be wrong about this, 800, 900 units of housing, affordable housing in Rockland County, Staten Island, um, Hamilton Heights, and East Harlem. Now, it's impressive that these are still- And I'm not still... even finished, no. Zach. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, that's okay. But we also have a, um, a street ministry called Lefso Life Experience and Faith Sharing. And we have we have hired formerly homeless people, and they go into the shelters, and they work with homeless people, and they give them um, information about resources. They bring them food on the streets, and they give them a sense of faith, and they pray with them. And that went on right through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's homeless, formerly homeless people. So it's not like somebody just coming in and say, poor you, yeah. you know. They, they know what the people have been going through. We have a, a small women's um, ministry that works with, right now with students, high school students. We have an organic farm in um, Stamfordville, New York, about 90 miles away. I'm going to forget something, and then they're going to kill me. Um, I mean, needless to say, it sounds like I mean, you guys are have been and are still currently like mm-hmm. running ministries that touch, you know, millions of people in, in, yes. in the New York area. It's a testament that even as you've had declining numbers of sisters. And how, how many sisters are there today? Um, unless somebody died when on my way down here, we have 153. 153 from, you know, a peak of, you know, 13, 1400. A lot of the in other contexts, maybe in a business world or something, um, these institutions would have just shut down. And yet you guys have managed to um, enter into different ways of relationship with these different ministries and so that they can continue on and continue to serve the people of the right. city. Right. Well, we passed the, we passed the torch on to our lay colleagues, and they do a fantastic job. They have a sense of charism, a sense of spirit of, of the Sisters of Charity that we didn't give them. They they came with it, and we connected, and and they're carrying on these ministries that they're just they're just wonderful men and women who are doing this. Could you quickly summarize that charism that that the sisters animates the, the sisters of charity? It's the charism of charity of respect of trying to teach uh, treat everybody with the dignity that they they need, that they deserve, and um, a sense of justice. And um, other people have that, but it's it's, it's something that uh, we share with the people who work with us, so it's really great. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
So I want to go to the big decision that your congregation made earlier this month to go on what you call a path to completion. Can you take us back to the time before that where you were discerning the future of your congregation and and what, what you were thinking together as a community? It's not a clear process that we went through. Uh, one of the things um, that we've done for the last four years when I, I've been president is... Um, sharing with our congregation the demographics. So all our sister, all of our sisters know that we haven't taken anybody in in years. How long? Uh, it's about 21 years was the last person that we had enter. And that person was even older than I am now. So that's that's been a reality. We didn't stop and mourn it at that point. But um, when did you, when did it first enter maybe into your head that, okay, maybe the demographics are shifting a certain way. We've got to make some some well, big decisions. we've known soon. it all along, and if nobody knew was coming to you, then, <laughs> right, and you can't keep everybody alive. You are on a path to completion. You know, now we do have um, associates who are lay men and women who work with us, but it's it's not the same kind of thing. So, um, we we every four years we come together and we plan for the future and uh, we set goals, um, like many other congregations do that. You know, what do you want to accomplish in the next four years? And when we looked at that, we said, you know what, we, we need to call the question. We need to name the reality. We're always good at reading the signs of the times. Um, all of the ministries we have respond to needs of the times, and they change. So as we looked at uh, planning for the next four years, we said, you know, we need to say we're, we're coming to completion. And we're doing it with faith, knowing that God, who has been with us all along, every step of the way, will will continue uh, to be with us and show us what we, we need to do for the coming years. Was that was that a unanimous feeling? It was unanimous. I can't believe that. I, I really can't believe it, Ashley. When we when we voted, um, we did this with holding up green cards for yes and um, red for no and orange, I guess, or something for uh, abstentions. I figured people would abstain because even though they knew it was the reality, they didn't want to vote for it. And so our council, which is our leadership team, put out a proposal that we would recognize that we are on the path to completion, and we will do all we can to promote vocations throughout the United States, but just not with us. And um, unanimous, unanimous. So. Was there, what was that like, either emotionally or spiritually? Because I imagine there, there had to be at some point uh, a level of grief that comes with this. It was. When we said that, um, you could see the faces in the room, and a lot of people started to tear up. I was at the podium, and I, I couldn't walk off the podium. My, my, my leg was shaking. I, I, because you, to know something in your head is one thing, and then to feel it as a reality in your heart, it was very uh, moving. I have to say it was a moving experience. And then somebody suggested that we bring up a book that had the names of all of the sisters who have gone before us. So all of the people who had ever entered. And so they brought it up to the stage. And then um, our facilitator had us chant Ubi Caritas, where charity and love is there is God. And so there was just this chant in the room. It was on Instagram. It even I can't even look at it anymore because it's it's very, very moving. And then we had um then we had a prayer service. And I think people felt a peace. And so, you know, the peace gave us a freedom, you know. 
okay, we put the we put the reality on the table. Now let's do what we have to to continue to serve those on the margins, which is what we're about. Mm. And what where does that freedom come from? Because I don't think a lot of people think of you know the death of an individual or an organization as a as a freeing experience. It feels like a a loss. Well, we're not going away right away, and <laughs> and that's one of the things uh, some of the articles were saying. We closed mm. our doors. We didn't close our doors. We're, we're even trying to start new ministries if we can. So we're not we're not going away any any time very very soon. So we could just focus on what we need to do, and that's service. And how old is your youngest sister? Right now, uh, s- maybe six. Well, we have we have some sisters in Guatemala. This was just about the United States right now. So, mm-hmm. but in the United States, about sixty nine, sixty eight, sixty nine. So, I mean, and I, most nuns that I've known have live pretty long lives. So, well, I mean, there could easily time. you yeah. guys could easily be around for yeah. another thirty years. Yeah, we're right? not going away, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but is there a sense around like? Okay, someone is going to be the last right. one, and who's and how how are we going to you know hand on? Some of the, but like even the book, for example, that you mentioned, like some of these things that have been with us for a long time, in addition to to the ministries, like well, we have to look at our archives. Where is the best place that that we should put that history? We're looking at ways to continue the legacy beyond us, whether it's a an institute. Uh, I don't want to say well for justice and peace or um, something like that that could live on in perpetuity. And continue to pass on the charism to those who come, you know, behind us. So we're we're looking at that, and we're going to work with each of our ministries and say, what do you need from us in order to continue the spirit of charity and continue what you're doing? Your charism being charity, there, there's nothing unique. You don't have to be a vowed religious or a priest no, or ordained to have no. that charism. Right. So there, it seems like you do have some sort of advantage in, in passing this right. on. To I had like been holding people. back on charity because <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought I had to be vowed or ordained oh. to practice it. So, so that's this why is you news to me. Zach. Okay, we knew there was something. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so how, do you have ways of? Promoting and instilling that in your and your lay collaborators, you know, that can live on beyond. We we have you. a couple of programs, and one of them is Keepers of the Flame, and it's a program that one of our sisters, Sister um, uh, Karen Helfenstein, started. And uh, we have a facilitator and um, a couple of sisters that help, and we invite board members um, to participate in a year-long program, and um, they they learn about our founders, they learn about our ministries. They learn about um, prayer. I mean, they share what they know about prayer. We don't, we don't teach them how to pray. They come, they're just phenomenal in terms of what they share uh, with us, and uh, we, we pass the history on. And uh, hopefully then they take it to somebody else, and we, we want to continue that program. It's a very, very good Keepers of the Flame. When Ashley and I were covering this story on this podcast when it first happened, um, I had mentioned that it occurred to me that if a religious order exists, you know, for a couple hundred years, mm-hmm. that is no small feat. No, in, right, yeah. you know, in the life of the church or right. the life of the country. And so, I, I, I had hoped that you know the you all and um, all your supporters and the entire church were able to look at this not as a failure, but you know, as a no. beautiful gift that mm-hmm. you've been able to give give the church and and New York City. Do you feel like that's the sense among yourself? I and do. Your I think the sisters feel that we're, we're very grateful for what people before us have done and what um, we have done. And I had said this in one of the articles uh, when, when somebody asked what was the 
highlight, one of the highlights of the last couple of years, and I, I said it was when we were honored in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, and we had this big banner, Sisters of Charity, and people were carrying it, and people came out into the street and said, thank you for educating me, thank you for taking care of so-and-so in the hospital, thank you for everything. And it wasn't us who were marching who they were thanking, it was our predecessors, and we had some really great women who have done great things in the church. How has um, coming to the decision to no longer seek vocations um, changed how you think about vocations in the church? Because I think colloquially people think of it as entering religious life, but does, does the church need to change the way it talks about vocations for young people? Uh, certainly, and I think the church has tried to do that. There are um, very valid vocations that are, that are equal. One, one is not better than the other, which is a different way. And um, I do, but I do think there's a place for religious vocations. It's just not going to be the same. We don't know how it's going to transpire, and we belong to a federation of 14 other who take their spirit from Vincent de Paul and/or Elizabeth Seton, and this is this is a charity federation. And some of those sisters are are getting um, vocations, and we're going to support that in whatever way we can. What are some reasons that a young person today um, should consider? if they were thinking about joining the Sisters of Charity? Or what would your pitch be? Maybe not to the Sisters of Charity in New York, uh, but to the larger federation. I guess if they wanted to concentrate, uh, it's a big decision. It's a big decision not to have a family or to spend your life with somebody whom you love you know, dearly. Um, but if somebody felt a call to community and a call to more, I shouldn't say even more prayer because everybody should pray or have some kind of relationship with God. So I think it's probably the community and willing to take, uh, you know, a vows and to live hopefully simpler life than other people and commitment to justice and peace. Um, those are some of the things I, I tell them to explore. It's interesting because I think that the, a lot of those things, with the exception of maybe a vows, yeah. I think young people are largely attracted to, or there's a renaissance in a, in a lot of these right. uh, movements today. Um, so I, I, this my own personal feeling is that yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people would benefit from at least asking the question, right. if this is for me, right? I, and I don't know if you've had um, any experiences where you've seen some people even just, you know, ask the question and that opens them up into um, their vocation, maybe out of religious life. Right, and that's, that's a gift to the church too. So th that hasn't happened, um, I haven't seen that in a long time, but it's possible. You know, and having worked with young people um, in higher education, I just see the goodness and they're just tremendous, they're tremendous people out there and you just hope that they could find whatever God is calling them to. And it is a call, it is a call. Um, you served in a lot of roles in your, in your yeah. time in the Sisters of <laughs> yeah. Charity. I'm curious yeah. what, what has been the most grace-filled part of- I loved them of, all. Everything yeah. I did, I loved. Um, I've had some really good experience. I've been very blessed. I mean, maybe that's another advertisement. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not everybody gets to you know work in so many different right. parts. That's of the, true. That is, I mean, I think a gift of religious right. life to be, a, you know, to be free to be kind of dispatched right. to all these different people and communities. Right. And if you're not, if you, you don't have to support a family, so that's that's a whole other thing. You don't have to worry about feeding kids. Um, your own kids, anyway. Your own kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. Your I think you kid. were. I think you were right. worried about feeding several <laughs> yeah. thousand kids. Right. Right. But you don't have to worry about that. So you, you, it, that, that's freeing, and you can concentrate on on uh, trying to do good for others. What are you going to be concentrating on in the coming years? Well, I want to get the, our ministries in shape so that they can go into the future with confidence and 
uh, with hope as we have. That's some, and then there are some administrative things that we have to look at. Um, that's not the most pleasant thing. And then I hope we can continue to respond to different needs. Like right now, we're trying to see what's the best way we can help the migrant situation. Um, <clears throat> so we're, we're open to trying to do that. So we're not going to give that kind of a thing up. When our older sisters are advocates. They write letters. They make calls. Um, so they'll continue to. You know, most uh, older religious sisters I know are not very good at retiring and, and relaxing. Is that is that planned in the future at all where, you know, you get a chance to take a breath and just kind of look at um, the legacy of the Sisters of Charity in New York or even in your own vocation, all the lives that you've been able to touch? Well, hopefully our prayer deepens as we get older and do less. Um, I hope that happens to me. <laughs> Getting a chance to kind of yeah. look back. Um, Sister Donna, I wanted to thank you um, on, on, on behalf of... Uh, a member of this city and of this church um, for all that you have done for all the Sisters of Charity of New York have done. Um, it, you've been a gift to to all of us. So thank you and and your sisters for oh, everything that you, you've Zach, done. For saying that. We do have one final question for you, though, uh, that we ask all of our guests, okay. which is if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, mm -hmm. fictional or real, who would it be and why? I think we have a lot of people walking around who are saints, and I, I, I couldn't pick out one over another. I, I've never, I've never had, um, I don't know, I've, I've never been like a hero worshiper, or I just try to look for the good in each person. So maybe the two of you, I would canonize the two of you. <laughs> Thank you. For being, Finally, for being reflective. We've been doing this for six years. For being reflective <laughs> and and for, for caring about this topic and hopefully Sebastian will reward you with canonization um, with something I, <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, sister thank you so much for for coming on the show um, and we are gonna we know that the uh, sister charity in New York are not going to be not going away not going away anytime soon so we will be paying attention and supporting and cheering from from this desk thank you so much thank you Ashley thank, thank you Zach you. thank you bye I thought it would kill me All right, now it's time for Parish Announcements, the part of our show where we ask you to please be seated before the final blessing. Just a couple things this week. So one, uh, we'd like to kind of go on a push. We're going to say this a few times uh, before this season ends, but we would love if we could do a push to get some ratings on Apple Podcasts. Um, it's We love reading all the nice comments that come in. That's, that's great. But more importantly, it really does help other people find the show. Um, so if you've already hit up all of your, like, uh, semi quasi Catholic or fully Catholic friends in your life, and you want to help more people discover Jesuitical, an easy way to do that is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So you don't have to write one, but that is also welcome. So please, if you have just like five minutes while you're listening right now, just pull up your phone and do it, unless you're driving, in which case, get safely to your destination. Secondly, I would love to thank uh, a new Patreon supporter this week. So a huge shout out to Beth Lenahan, who uh, signed up this week to support the show on Patreon. Uh, she's going to get access to our full backlog of bonus episodes and all the ones that are to come. So if you would like to join Beth, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash America Media.
And now we have As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives this week. Uh, and as we mentioned at the top of the show, I was in Jordan and went to Petra. This is uh, ancient buildings carved into the rock structures that are just intricate and amazing and done in like a thousand years ago and incredible. But, you know, they're deep in the desert, so you have to get there. And there's an easy way to get there that the tourists do. Go to the visitor center, walk in, walk out. <laughs> but, but you're not a tourist. I was with a local. Yeah. So we did what the locals do. And yeah. that is you get dropped off by a taxi on the side of the road in the middle of the desert and walk your way there. <laughs> and you chose. And we chose. Poorly. The, poorly. <laughs> Me and my friend got dropped off on the side of the road. We had two bottles of water, and we were going to make our way to for a walk in the desert. To, Bad start. To what's like. known as the monastery, one of these beautiful structures that's in the desert. Um, and so, starting going well, we're on a big main road, or you know, not a main road, but a road that is clearly marked. And then it gets less clear, and we take the wrong path, <laughs> and we take the wrong path for about an hour and a half, and we are in what's known as like a wadi, so you have these big rock structures, not quite mountains, but and you're just walking in the valley. Um, and everything looks the same. There are the same trees, the same red rocks. And you, so we've been doing this for an hour and a half. And my friend says, we should have reached it by now. We should have reached it an hour ago. Good. <laughs> and so we realize we are lost. Um, and her phone is about to die. My phone has about 40% battery and has no service. So the maps really aren't doing any good. We try to text friends to let them know that we are lost in the desert because we're starting to panic. Um, and so we, we turn around, try to retrace our steps. Retracing our steps, realize we have not retraced our steps. You've we traced are, new steps. We have traced new steps. And it is at that point when I realize there's not an easy just just walk back out to the road solution that the panic really sets in. And I am scared. <laughs> we don't have a lot of water. We have no way, way of reaching civilization. And I'm imagining myself wandering and perhaps perishing in the desert. So that was... That Would have been a, bad for you and the podcast. Yes. Um, and it was honestly a new experience for me. I have not had a lot of times in my life where I'm not in control, scared, and not really sure what's going to come next and thinking that what does come next is not going to be good at all. Um, so we kind of regroup ourselves, retrace our steps again, get what we think is on the right path and, and just walk. And then eventually in the distance, we see a Bedouin shepherd, <laughs> a literal shepherd. Uh <laughs> that you hear about in the Bible. Um, and, you know, we wave at him. We walk over. We're not sure he's going to speak English because not not all Bedouin shepherds do speak English. We go over. He speaks perfect English. And we are like, thank God. <laughs> and they give us tea. And we ask him where we're supposed to be going. And he says he will walk us to the monastery. So you're saying he left the 99 in, in order to search for and guide the the lost. That is exactly what I'm saying. All right. Okay. Still following. <laughs> and so our dear shepherd guide, his name is Ali, walks over an hour with me and my friend to get us safely to the monastery. He does not leave us until we are with a bunch of tourists and have no chance of getting lost <laughs> on our way out. <laughs> it is the closest I've got to really experiencing and understanding the image of Jesus, the good shepherd. Yeah, I, uh, I, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but 
the the feeling that sticks with me most is 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 that moment of panic and fear and loss of control. Um, and so it was just like such it was so visceral that it it connected me to that to that image of of needing a guide in a way that I've never had before. And it, it made me think about like a lot of the gospels are written in a way that made a lot of sense to the people at the time. They use the images of 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 the earth and and of of farming and of wilderness and wilderness. Uh, yeah, we were that was wilderness. I understand the temptations. Well, and it's quite the literally the too. same wilderness that yeah. is often being mm-hmm. written about in the Bible. Yeah, so it just it made me think about you know how us, us moderns can have difficulty accessing the gospel because we don't have those visceral experiences. And I'm not saying everyone should go get lost in the the desert of Jordan, but I'm wondering, like, are there other ways that we can try to connect to the gospel in more visceral ways that don't involve risking our lives? Yeah. As you said, we moderns like to pretend we have lots of control over everything in our lives. In a lot of ways, we do. We have way more control. Um, we, We have air conditioning for crying out loud, right? Like that is, you know, for most of human, we have lights, Mm -hmm. you know, for most of human history, these things didn't exist. unlimited seltzer water in our refrigerator. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) These things Um, really. And so I think there is like a great spiritual lesson. I I didn't even experience this here. You talk about it made me think about like, oh my God, what does it mean to feel totally lost and totally helpless in a way that's not just a metaphor, Yeah. right? Um, Well, thank God for... Saint Ali, I think he's worthy of canonization on this podcast. I will be, yes, Saint Ali, he is my guide. Every time I'm lost, I will be praying to him. (laughs) I was ready for that like story to end with and and we turned around and he disappeared. He was gone and (laughs) it was an angel. And the footsteps next to us were Jesus (laughs) all along. No, it was flesh and blood, real shepherd who I will be eternally grateful for. Um, So for listeners, I don't know if I have any practical (laughs) advice for you besides that, you know, don't take the back entrance to Petra. Go to the visitor center, walk in, walk out. It's beautiful. <laughs> it was not worth it. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm glad you're back and yes. safe. I will get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Cristobal Spielman. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.